through your words. Amen. Amen. Can I ask the guys taking up the offering to please come up? And if you can start finding your way towards the book of Colossians. As we bring our tithes and offerings, I want to invite you to take in your hand and say off to me. Thank you for the gospel by which I have been saved. Thank you that as I partner with this gospel, many will hear your word and turn to Christ. I send out this offering, I send out this tithe, that the gospel can be preached in this city, in this nation, and even to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. We've been looking um, last week at the fact that this is the whole gospel. Genesis to Revelations is the full gospel. Aren't you glad you found yourself in a full gospel church this morning? Take your Bible in your other hand. <laughs> you got, I'm doing a lot of the hands this morning. Maybe I'm going to tie you up. But as we take God's word this morning, His Holy Scripture, breathe that. By the Holy Spirit, through the men He appointed. It, it just amazes me how, how beautifully this crimson thread of salvation flows from Genesis right through to Revelations. That the Gospel is in the Old Testament concealed, but it's in the New Testament revealed. That when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, and He began from the prophets and from Moses... Speaking about himself, as he unfolded the scriptures to them, their hearts burned within them. And when Paul says at the, in his introduction to the book of Romans that this gospel was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scripture. And then again in Galatians where he said that the gospel was announced in advance to Abraham. We see that this word is the word of the gospel. It's the whole gospel. God's working and dealing with man from creation until the glorious throne. And that every time we come to the scripture, every time we come to the word of God, we should have hearts like sponges that are saying, Lord, I want to understand more of my inheritance. I want to understand more of what it means to be in Christ. I want to understand more of this wonderful new covenant that you've made when you finished and fulfilled it on the cross. From Genesis to Revelations, God's Word. Amen? I remember it. Um, you can't take your crown. I was about to wear it. I remember in uh, school, we, you had your... Religious instructions classes? Do they still do that? Do they still have aura? No, I don't know. Been a while. And I, I remember standard at six, you know, three best years of my life. But I remember our aura teacher would get up and pull out the map of the Middle East and start explaining the geographical outline and the rainfall areas. And the... Um, the different resources of the different areas in Palestine and around the Middle East and the, the, the agriculture. And I thought, this is so boring. And I was right. 
Because the Bible is a living book. And by the time I got to school, I mean, I, we'd never put our foot in church, never opened the Bible. My grandmother, who was a spiritist, she owned one of these books. And it said the Holy Bible on it. So I genuinely believed she had the Holy Bible. And when other people spoke about having a Bible, they just had a Bible. She had the Holy Bible, which was the original. I really believed, by the time I'd left school, that we possessed the Bible in our home. My grandmother, who's a spiritist, she was very fortunate she had the one Bible. And it was many years later before I discovered this wonderful book for myself and God's plan unfolding. Amen? And I think the most important thing that's been happening to me certainly in, in recent times is just a love for the Word of God as we begin to correctly divide it along the lines of the covenants, as we begin to see it through the finished work of the cross, as we begin to see the Father's love from Genesis right through, that when we've seen some things that were, were set for us, but not set to us in light of the new covenant, but for our benefit, every word is from God. And I wanted to use that as an introduction this morning as we go to Colossians chapter 2. And we read the central passage. You know, every one of the epistles has kind of a central favorite, all your underlined verses. But, but there's, a, there's a central theme in, 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 in each of the epistles. And in Colossians, I believe it's this part in chapter 2, where from verse 6 can we read. Can we have that up on the, the board as well? I'm going to do that. Bible's open, and for those who didn't, it'll come up. So then, just as you received Christ, say received Christ, speaking to people who had received this free gift, couldn't achieve it, but received it, Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Lord, we thank You for this Word. We pray this morning it would bring life into us by the Gospel, in Jesus' name. So then, just as you received, there was something you did. And He goes on and He begins to unpack what we received in the next few verses. So let's go through together. It says, first of all, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. So he was saying, there is a conflict, guys. There is a war going on. In their case, it was the Judaizers who were coming in with their traditions and their worldviews and mindsets. And if you go into cultures today, you'll see how often... Um, the ancestral and the past worship practices are trying to creep their way in and humanism and materialism. And he's saying, that, that, that's not the stuff I'm talking about now. Be careful that you don't get trapped in that. And later on in the, the passage, he, he expounds some of that, like in verse 16 where he says, Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat and drink or with regard to religious festivals, new moon celebrations or Sabbath days. Uh, and then... And then Again in verse 20, since you died with Christ, uh, don't let anyone take you captive uh, because you've died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, those traditions. 
uh, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. So, so, so Paul is making a very clear stand, very, he's cutting very clearly with um, man-made religion, man-made philosophies, man-made traditions, and he's bringing them back to the core of what they received in the gospel. Back up to, to verse 9. So he's saying to them, just as you receive Christ, and then in parenthesis, be careful that, that you don't get sucked into all this other stuff. And, 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 and then he goes on to, to explain what they've received. And he says in verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So that's the first point, is that we're talking about God here. We're not just talking about a... A, a prophet, we're not just talking about a good teacher, we're not talking about a philosophy, we're talking about the deity in human form. This is what you received. You didn't receive the philosophies of a great teacher. You didn't go up to the golden temple in the Punjab and, and learn a whole lot of rituals and go through a whole lot of sacraments. No, 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 this, this is God. This gospel you've received, this, this Christ... The fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And then secondly, you, who? Have received partial fullness. <laughs> no, all total fullness in Christ, who is the head of every power. So while right here, we begin this whole topic of being in Christ. In Him. That's why we go to the scripture, to to open up God's Word. That, that, that I love this illustration. I've used it about a million times, but can you bear with me one more time? God who created you perfect in His image, sin and all the stuff that messed us up, man trying to fix himself through his own self-righteousness and through his own philosophies and his own self-help schemes, external analysis of how well he's doing but never fixes himself God sends Jesus Christ in the God comes in the flesh Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us that, that we could become his righteousness we were placed inside of Christ on the cross the miracle was that Jesus who did no sin became sin he didn't have to do a sin to become a sin he became sin imputed. We didn't have to do anything righteous to become righteousness. We received Christ. We are now in Him. We are in Him. God doesn't relate to us on the basis of our self-perfection. He relates to us on the basis of being in Christ. Christ is the fullness of God in bodily form. And we are complete in Him. Every one of the 160 odd references about our position uses the word in Him or in Christ, in Jesus, shows that when God relates to you, my friend, He relates to you on this basis of being in Christ and the finished work that that represents. So He goes on here and He says, verse 11, continuing, in Him, now, now we've settled that, okay? This, this is what you received. You were circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of man, 
he, he had to repeat that for them. But with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. That is how you received the gospel. You received his life, his death and his burial as your own. Through baptism, you identified that when he went down under the ground, you went down under the water. When he came up out of that water, you were co-buried, you were co-raised, you were co-ascended, and now we are co-seated with Christ. Our baptism was the outward expression of that miracle that took place through Christ identifying with us. This is the message he says you received. This is the message he's reiterating and saying, I don't want you to forget this. This is the central, I believe. All the other stuff around it is important, but, but if you miss this, guys, you, you, you've missed the most important thing. And he goes on verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. And we've said it over and over. God, what God's more interested than bad people becoming good people is dead people coming alive. Because at least live people He can work into and work through and work with. But dead people are cut off from Him. They're estranged. We were dead in our transgressions and sin. Paul's reminding them again. These are Christians. This is an established church. But he has to come and repeat the gospel. Because unless we keep having the gospel preached to our hearts, there's something in us that reverts back into the gravity of selfishness and self-absorbed living. And we've got to keep coming back to the gospel. We've got to keep preaching the gospel. Someone might say, yeah, but you know, the gospel was to get saved. Now I want to go on to deeper stuff and meat. My friend, this is the meat. The meat is when we get this in us and it totally transforms us. Because that's what the gospel should do. It should be applied to our marriages, applied to our bringing up children, applied to church, work. Everything is around the gospel. And he's bringing them back to it and reminding them that you were dead. But God made you alive. And now how did God do that? I'm so glad you asked the question. But he answers that. He carries on here. He says, who made you alive with Christ. This is what he did. He forgave us all our sins. Having, not just forgiving, but watch this. Having cancelled... Underlined, cancelled, the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away. What did he do? He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, forgiveness is one thing, but the gift of righteousness that was given to us is something completely different. God forgave us and imputed righteousness on us. He cancelled the thing that was against you. Do you know that there was something against you? Something making you feel bad, making you feel condemned, telling you that you're a sinner, telling you you're going to hell. And that was the purpose of the law. It was supposed to be against you. We love the law. We love the Mosaic Covenant for the purpose for which the Mosaic Covenant was given, which was to lead us to Christ. Not to find a self-righteousness as the scribes and Pharisees and the religious system tried to. And we refuse to allow anything else to give us a sense of self-righteousness. It's only as the law points us to Christ, find its fulfillment. Now on the cross, Jesus made a public spectacle of what did he disarm? The principalities and powers that had 
armed themselves through the law, which was that written code that was against you and stood opposed to you. It was against you. The law was doing its job. It was supposed to be against you. It was supposed to oppose you until you submitted to what was nailed on the cross. That was nailed to the cross. It would be a real shame if we still trying to uphold that while we're living on this side of the cross. And that's why when we go to the gospel, we better correctly divide the covenants and we better correctly take it through the cross to find its true meaning for us. Because if I'm still believing that as a Christian, I should be keeping a whole lot of rules and regulations and even the Ten Commandments, ooh, throw a stone out in a pack and you'll hear which dog got hit. I'm telling you, 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 if you said to me a year ago, are Christians supposed to keep the Ten Commandments? Of course. Except, under the Old Covenant, keeping the Ten Commandments wasn't to make you righteous or good. The Ten Commandments were righteous and good, but could never make you righteous and good. You'd have to water them down to make them palatable, and that's what they did. And then Jesus came and rebuked them very sternly about that, and pointed out that they couldn't keep them. It was impossible. Only Christ could fulfill them. He said, I haven't come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. They're never going to pass away. They're going to always be there to show people the need of a Savior. But not one jot or tittle is going to be removed from the law, but I'm coming to fulfill it. Now, in Christ, uh, the, what stood opposed to me, the regulations, the, the writing, I mean, what was written, this stuff was written. This wasn't just their ceremonial law. This was the, that was written in stone, 2 Corinthians 3 says, was done away with. That no longer can bring me righteousness. Therefore, as a Christian, he goes on and explains, as I walk in the Spirit deliberately, I'm going to fulfill the law accidentally, but that in true, strict terms, I'm no longer under a covenant that says, as a Christian, should you keep the Ten Commandments? As a Christian, we better be keeping the Ten Commandments. If we've got a new nature, the old one was circumcised out of us. If we are a new creature in Christ, if, if all my sins have been forgiven, I, 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 be, I should be walking at least not murdering my mother-in-law and stealing from my neighbor and you know, committing adultery. I, I, I'd, I'd assume that, that that's kind of an entry level and, and not a bad society kind of way of structuring things. But, but, but can, can, you, can you see, I know someone might say this is semantics and this is so sad, but I'm telling you what, the moment, we th- the moment we say yes to that question, we have shown something that we don't fully understand. That that thing was disarmed, it was nailed to the cross, and the moment we want to come under anything that imposes, that can give me any sense of, hey, I'm not so bad, because I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I do do this, and I do do that, I'm slipping back away from the finished work of the cross. Our only boast, friends, is what Jesus did. When he disarmed and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, and this is the gospel we believe. And this is the gospel that he's, that he's proclaiming here in these passages. Now I want to just jump back up to verse 6 again. And I want to point out the second part of that verse. He says, so then, just as you received Christ. So we've spoken this morning a little bit what we received. How we received it. What it means for us. But there's an interesting second part to that verse that says, as you received Christ, continue. Say continue. So you can receive something, but now we to 
continue in something. You see, what Jesus did on the cross was an overpayment for our sins. It wasn't like God took all the sins that would ever be committed in, on earth and he put Jesus on the other side of the scale and it kind of balanced out. Oh no, my friend. This was like paying a car guard a million rand. It was a total overpayment. It was way... Be- it could have... The, the, the whole galaxy of known planets, the whole universe, if it was populated the same as earth on every planet in the whole universe, it's a lot of people, and Jesus died it would have still have been an overpayment. Not because there's six billion people on earth and it kind of balanced out. What, when we fully understand that God himself in the flesh was killed and satisfied the claims of justice, when we understand the full ramifications of that in our life, my friend, it's a total done deal. This is the gospel. And he says, this gospel you've received, I want you to continue in it. And there's a reason he said he wants you and I to continue in it. Because we possibly might not want to continue in it. I know some of you are looking at me like, what did that mean? Well, let me say that like this. Before I received Jesus Christ as Lord, I knew I was rotten. I knew... I, I was a mess. I mean, I, God didn't get a bargain when he got you or me. I mean, we knew that our lives were messed up. And then we found out about this incredible God who loved us so much that wasn't giving us a set of do's and don'ts, but who gave us his son and said, if you'll receive my free gift. And I don't know about you, but that brought a rejoicing. At some stage in our life, when, when it made sense what God did for us, it brought such a rejoicing that He loved me so much. When I was a sinner, as Romans 8 says, um, if, if, that's, if God gave His Son when I was a sinner, how much more now that I'm His child? But we've sometimes believed God loved us more before we got saved. Before we started this journey. Because he, we knew He loved us so much. He had to love us so much. And then we became a Christian. And we loved the sense of, of His goodness and His love. But as we started feeling like we weren't doing the right, maybe not doing the right things all the time, not keeping up to all the, the rules and regulations we thought we should do as a good Christian, we allow ourselves to come into bondage, into condemnation, into guilt and shame, and, and, and always feeling like God loved us, but He was smiling, but His eyes weren't twinkling as much as when we first got saved. When we first got saved, God was like delighted. He was just like a, a new grandfather with his baby. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. But now that we've grown up a bit, and we're supposed to be mature, amen? Amen. And we miss a few of these meetings, and we don't do this, and we forgot to do that. And I'm sitting on an airplane, and I'm so tired. And I think, but I've got to witness to this person next to me. Because everyone who, every pastor who goes on an airplane has got an airplane story, you know? Now how they stood up and the, everyone stood up and they laid hands and everyone on the plane went under the power. And I'm like, I'm just so tired. <laughs> I want to watch a movie and sleep, please. And, and you always, do I read my Bible enough? Do I pray enough? Do I, now you see, when you first get saved, why do you read your Bible? You love it. You're wanting to discover what inheritance you got. It's all new. Why do you pray? Because you're in such a mess. It's like, God help me. 
But you learn to have fellowship with Him through that. Why do you witness to people? Jesus didn't say, go, you receive power and go out and be my witness. And witness to people. He just said you'd go out and be witnesses. In other words, wherever you went, you were in love with Jesus. You'd experienced His love. And you, wherever you went, people noticed something was different and changing. And that's how you received Christ. Those things that were a joy then can slowly become duty-driven things that usually leave you feeling like, I'm just not doing it enough. I'm just not, yeah, I'm 99% there, but I'm just not there. Now, if we're honest, most of us have felt like that at some time. But what is he saying here? As you received him, all these glorious things he's been talking about, as you receive that, you've got to continue in that. And the Romans 8 says, how, if, if that's how much he loved us when we were sinners, how much more will he give us all things? I mean, just, just think about that. It's like me as a father on my deathbed, about 60 years' time, lying there, saying to my kids, I want to bequeath my entire estate to you. All I own, my home, my cars, my Rolls Royce, my yacht, all those things that the highway blessed me with in the last 10 years. Um, I want to bequeath all this to you. And they go, oh, thanks, Dad, thanks, Dad. And it's very cold outside. So my son says, Dad, you have no need for this jersey anymore. Because you're not leaving here. Do you mind if I take it? I go, no, no, not the jersey. Not the jersey. Leave the jersey alone. Don't touch my jersey. Stay away from my jersey. You can have everything else. But don't... I mean, how ridiculous. How insane that sounds. But we do the same thing to God. We say when we were completely dead, when we were completely written off, He loved us so much, He gave us everything. It was an overpayment for our sins and for our dead state of being. And now that I'm His child, I've got to like beg on my knees for one little jersey. How dumb can we get and still breathe? He says, as you receive this free, lavish, exuberant, gift of sins forgiven and the old nature circumcised and the new nature put in and the triumph of the finished work of the cross and all the victory over what was written and was against you and opposed to you. You are more than conquerors through Him who loved you and gave you His life. Now you His Son. How much more if He gave you Jesus? He says, how much more now that you His sons? And He's just waiting for us to get a place where we believe that. With all our hearts and all our minds. What dream can be too small for God that He puts inside us for the betterment of of this world and for His church to explode and to release finances into the kingdom? Amen? Just in the last half an hour that remains, the question that keeps coming up is, This finished work of the cross is such good news. How do I get back to these spiritual disciplines? If now, these are not the things that qualify me. And in the past, in order to motivate me, there was a bit of a, you know why you've got a flat tire? Have you been reading your Bible? Kind of preaching. Like, you know, lost your job. Yes, it's because you never witnessed to your boss. And God had to teach you a lesson, brother. Preaching doesn't work anymore because now we've found the truth. 
If you've been in the church for a year, six months, you probably know what I mean. So we found out the truth that God is not reserving judgment and wrath for us because we never had our quiet time. We can't use uh, God-frowning teachings and if then the reason this happened kind of preaching, the guilt-driven, duty-driven stuff. Now, if that's true, now what? I mean, how do I really get motivated to, to keep... I mean, do I, need, do I need to be spending time in the Word? I mean, spending time in the Word, my, my Christian disciplines we call them, spending time in prayer, giving, uh, witnessing, all those things that are... They, they like what healthy eating and going to the gym is for our physical bodies, which, you know, some of us do better than others. Now, so, so my spiritual disciplines are so vital... That now, because I feel this freedom, I can, I can almost shrink back into, well, you know, if it's all been done and finished at the cross. And I, I think having a little bit of um, self-discipline is not a bad thing, but, but some people have got more of it than other people, let's face it. Some people are just better at this and that, so, or some more qualified than others. No, we're all qualified. So, so, so now we talk about what is the motivation? What, what, what do we need to motivate us in these basic spiritual, healthy disciplines that, that, that keep us in the love letter, keep us in our communion? And, our, and, and, and part of it is, is a revelation of the Father heart, of His great love for us. And as we live in His presence and His love, we will, we, we, the theory is that we live in a, a want to rather than a have to mode. Amen? And I think that works a lot of the time. <laughs> it does. When I'm in God's presence, I want to speak to Him. When I'm in, you know, we've had a great worship time like Wednesday night, and I leave here, I'm like walking on a cloud. I go, every page in the Bible comes alive, and, and I want to tell people about Him. And, but but is, does ever have a time where that's not like that? And you might be asking yourself, you know, back then, I think I had some better spiritual disciplines than I had over here now. What's happened? Well, the pendulum is swung, for one, and the flesh will always gravitate to what's comfortable and easier. So, maybe some, and I've heard some people saying, what's going to motivate me now? And I took this before God and I prayed about it and I asked Him. And unfortunately, the answer was so simple that when I say it, I think you're going to probably miss it. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Ask of me and I will give you the desires of your heart. You see, this is what it boils down to. If what I received in Christ was grace, unmerited, undeserved and unearned, by simply calling on His name, to continue in Christ has to be the same. It's unearned, Unself-disciplinified, unself-boastfully applied. It's simply, Father, give me a desire to want to speak to you more than I do. I know you're not angry with me. I know this is not going to earn brownie points. I know you're not going to love me more or less if I do or don't. I've settled those things now. Yeah, I'm free. But, Daddy. I'm not talking to you. I'm just fellowshipping with you as much as I'd like to be. So, so, so can I ask you to give me that desire again? And while you're at it, Lord, the Bible's kind of got dusted over since you know, we did that. All those pictures on the stage. 
People are reading their Bibles. Regeneration, sanctification, justification, propitiation, glory. Everyone's building the Bibles. And since then, a kind of a little bit of dust has gone over the Bible. And, and, and Dad, while you're about it, Father, uh, give me a desire for your words. Now, when those desires come, who's our boasting? Our self-discipline? And God, it's not, I'm not going to live in have-to mode anymore. I want to live in overflow mode. And Lord, while you're about it, you know, I haven't really been talking about you lately. I, you know, I've been, I sound busy and this and that. But Lord, I know there was a day in my life where I loved sharing the gospel with people. Just from my life and what you did and that. Lord, would, would you put that desire back in me? Okay, is this just so simple we could miss it? It's called, ask of me and I will give you the desires of your heart. I mean, if we asked for this, if we began in Christ this way, there was nothing we could do. We had to just ask for it. That's how we should be continuing in Christ. What's the difference? We should be doing it exactly the same way. Lord, I've been a bit stingy lately, you know. My pockets are getting lower and lower and lower down my pants. And my arms are getting shorter and shorter and shorter up my sleeves. Lord, that's, that's not your heart. So I'm asking you, whew, this is a tough one. Lord, make me generous on every occasion. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, He who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Who began a good work in you? The one you received, the gospel you received. What does he promise he'll do to you? He will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Last scripture, Philippians 2 verse 15. God, let's have that one up, uh, young married man. Philippians 2 verse 13. I'll close with this and then I want to pray. God, for it is God, what is he doing in us? He's working in us to do, to will. You see, it's a will. It's a will. And an action. According to His good purpose. So it's God who's doing the work. It's God who's putting the will. And, and, and maybe, maybe you're sitting out this morning and you're saying, yeah, my, my spiritual disciplines have got a little bit rusty and, and I know that that's vital for, for a healthy lifestyle. If you identify with that, I want to pray for you this morning. But I'm not praying for you for more self-discipline. I'm praying that the one who's at work in you will give you the will. The way you started is the way you're going to continue. Let's stand up together. Lord, this morning as we, we come under your word... I pray that your word would be a double-edged sword. Right here, right now. That we'd be honest in the deepest part of me. Can, can I ask you, just wherever you know the joy that you started in, you're not continuing in. Whatever area of that applies to you. Won't you just allow now the Holy Spirit's work to just come, the one who's working in you. The one who's working in you, he himself. 
Lord, we appreciate so much the finished work of the cross. Say after me, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the triumph of the cross. Thank you that what was against me is removed. That I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. And because I'm in him, I have eternal life. I have eternal favor. I have eternal blessing. Lord, will you work in my life to will and to do according to your perfect plan. And Father, I pray for the folk right now, standing, including myself, the areas, Lord, where we need the will and the act. Spirit of God, would you come right now? Give us a new passion for your presence. A new hunger to worship that we won't stand and observe and spectate because we will be so busy in the river. In the river that comes from your passion that we would just bathe ourselves. Lord, as we go to your word that it would be a light, it would be alive, it would open up deep mysteries that you have not hidden from us but hidden for us. And Lord, I pray for those of us who just are losing that sense of intimacy, that intimacy with you that we've known at times. And, and, and even if we have it right now, that it will just increase. I pray for increase over this church, increase of his presence, increase of his word. I pray that from that place, Lord, our lives would radiate. We would just be witnesses because of the radiating of that in us. I pray, Lord, that we would rise to a new level in our, in our ministry to you, Lord, through that intimacy. Come Holy Spirit, we just invite you to rain down upon the seed of this word. Rain down. Rain down. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no fear. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We go from this place victorious because we have our Father at work in us to will and to do the way we began, we are going to continue to the glory of God. Amen. 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 God bless you and have a wonderful afternoon. Amen.